Hello, and welcome to Objective Health. I am your host today, Erica, and joining me in the virtual studio is Doug, Elliot, Damien behind the scenes, and some creepy guy standing next to Elliot. He's joining us too. Um, so today, as the year rounds out and we get ready to go into a new year, we figured we'd stray into some more scientific topics. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, something that has been um, talked about in the past on this show, um, transhumanism. We did a show in April of 2018 about this topic. If our listeners are interested, it's called biohacking, transhumanism, and the singularity. Well, a lot has changed or a lot more information has come to light over the last two years. So we're here to kind of touch on some stuff. Obviously, we cannot talk, cover the entire topic in this show today, but we're going to just talk about some interesting information that's come to light and that's being shared far and wide. And to start off, um, Doug's going to tell us a little story uh, <laughs> coming out of a uh, document from Policy Horizons Canada, and it's called Exploring Biodigital Convergence. And this was published in February of 2020. So Doug's going to give us a little taste of what our future may look like. Yeah. Um, just to point out that this is actually from the Canadian government. Um, it was pointed out to us from um, Corbett on the Corbett report, he actually uh, drew our attention to this document, which we hadn't seen before. So it's very interesting. Anyway, the story is kind of in the middle of the article. The story starts out, I wake up to the sunlight and salty coastal air of the Adriatic Sea. I don't live anywhere near the Mediterranean, but my AI, which is also my health advisor, has prescribed a specific air quality, scent, and solar intensity to manage my energy levels in the morning and has programmed my bedroom to mimic this climate. The fresh bed sheets grown in my building from regenerated fungi are better than I imagined. I feel rested and ready for the day. I need to check a few things before I get up. I send a brain message to open the app that controls my insulin levels and make sure my pancreas is optimally, optimally supported. I can't imagine having to inject myself with needles like my mother did when she was a child. Now it's a microbe transplant that auto-adjusts and reports on my levels. Everything looks all right, so I check my brain's digital interface to read the dream data that was recorded and processed in real time last night. My therapy app analyzes the emotional responses I expressed while I slept. It suggests I take time to be in nature this week, to reflect on my recurring trapped-in-a-box dream, and enhance helpful subconscious neural activity. My AI recommends a forest day. I think, okay, and my AI and neural implants do the rest. The summary of my BugBot surveillance footage shows that my apartment was safe from intruders, including other BugBots, last night. But it does notify me that my herd of little cyber dragonflies are hungry. They've been working hard collecting data and monitoring the outside environment all night. But the number of mosquitoes and lime-carrying ticks they normally hunt to replenish their energy was smaller than expected. With a thought, I order some nutrient support for them. My feet hit the regenerative carpet and I grab a bathrobe. Although I don't need it for warmth, my apartment is gradually warming up to a comfortable 22 degrees. As it cycles through a constantly shifting daily routine that keeps me in balance with the time of day and season. Building codes and home energy infrastructure are synchronized and require all homes be auto-regulated for efficiency. 
Because houses and buildings are bio biomimetic and incorporate living systems for climate control wherever possible, they are continuously filtering the air and capturing carbon. I check my carbon offset measure to see how much credit I will receive for my home's contribution to the government's climate change mitigation program. As I head to the bathroom, I pause at the window to check the accelerated growth of the neighboring building. Biological architecture has reached new heights, and the synthetic tree compounds are growing taller each day. To ensure that the building can withstand even the strongest winds and to reduce swaying for the residences on the top floors, a robotic 3D printer, printer is clambering around the emerging structure and adding carbon-reinforced biopolymer, strengthening critical stress points identified by its AI-supported sensor array. I am glad they, they decided to treat the roof of this building with fire-resistant, genetically modified red cedar, since urban forest fires have become a concern. While I'm brushing my teeth, Jamie, my personal AI, asks if I'd like a delivery drone to come pick up my daughter's baby tooth, which fell out two days ago. The epigenetic markers in the child's teeth, in children's teeth, have to be analyzed and cataloged on our family genetic blockchain in order to qualify for the open health rebate, so I need that done today. I replaced a smart sticker that monitors my blood chemistry, lymphatic system, and organ function in real time. It's hard to imagine the cost and suffering that people must have endured before personalized preventative medicine became common. Also, I'll admit that it sounds gross, but it's, good, it's a good thing the municipality samples our fecal matter from the sewage pipes. It's part of the platform to analyze data on nutritional diversity, gut bacteria, and antibiotic use to aid with public health screening and fight antibiotic-resistant strains of bacterial infections. Supposedly, the next download for my smart sink will allow me to choose a personalized biotic mix for my dechlorinated drinking water. Should I keep going? No. <laughs> or do we have enough? Uh, do we have enough uh, um, of the pseudo utopian uh, horrific uh, future that we all have to look forward to? Right. Yeah. I mean, they are really putting it forward, like, like, oh, isn't this cool? Isn't this great? But a lot of the stuff in there are just sending up red flags for me, like all over the place. Like, who's to say what all that data and ability for control? will be used for right yeah it's assuming i mean it's assuming that the data collectors and the kind of like um uh, individuals or sets of individuals who are controlling will have an influence over the technology itself like that they are benign right that that yeah. that, that, that it has the best interest of humanity at heart Whereas we know historically and looking at the way that the th things are going in the world, anyone who's paying attention can see that they generally do not and have never had um, humanity's best interests at heart, right? It, it's usually the exact opposite. And so mm -hmm. why would we think that giving them power over our bodies, over our biology um, would be a good idea? I mean, it's just so short-sighted, no? Well, it's interesting, too, because you all heard that saying by Klaus Schwab, you'll own nothing and be happy. And as you're reading that, Doug, that's what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. Like, you won't, you'll live in a digital reality. Mm -hmm. Everything, you won't have to own anything to take care of yourself. The digital, bio-digital convergence We'll take care of you. 
and it will give you real-time feedback. So you don't have responsibility for anything. Like you don't need to monitor what you eat to control your insulin levels. It's all going to do it for you. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Elliot, that's frightening, you know, that that it internally, and it seems to be, that's exactly where it's going. And I think 2020 has been the last two years really have been kind of that slow nudging of that technology. We've really heard language change around all this. I mean, synthetic biology, biosecurity, you know, digital smart tech, all these things 10, 15 years ago were maybe being discussed behind the scenes, but not everyday common knowledge and words that people used. And, um, it's frightening actually, when you really start to look into it and when you read this biological or biodigital convergence document, like they just lay it out. Like it's a, mm-hmm. it's an outline of exactly how they're going to proceed, whether you want it or not. Yeah. And they sell it like it's very cool, high tech science fiction type stuff. Um, but yeah, it's uh it only takes like reading into it a little bit to really get a more creepy vibe out of the whole thing. Because what it, what comes across to me when I read something like this is control. Like it seems like what they are doing with all of this, and it's kind of always been the push is to have this kind of level of control, control over your biology, control over your genome, you know, uh, control over your output, control over your thoughts, your emotions, all that kind of stuff. I mean, they're talking about dreams and things like that. I mean, what it didn't say in that document is that, you know, after you had that anxiety dream, your uh, Prozac levels are automatically adjusted in your body to uh, take care of that uh, that pesky emotion that you're feeling. So, yeah, and even it even, like, ironically kind of hinted that she was having a trapped-in-a-box <laughs> type of uh, dream. It's like, oh, I wonder where that came from. Trapped in a box. How about that? Yeah, I mean, what's to say if uh, I mean uh, the way that I picture it is 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 how how about if someone started having dreams about rebelling against having this tact injected into their head if they yeah. start having having radical thoughts of actually wanting to tear this stuff out of their brain and actually wanting to just live a normal life which is not connected with all of this tech, like then you know how would that be perceived by this system and would this would this um spur on the 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 thought police to come and investigate you know would you have kind of police officers knocking on the door and mm. say well, well why are you thinking these thoughts and you know or, or having the the system automatically inject like some kind of sedative or antipsychotic right or if they've got this level of technology then antipsychotic and sedatives they're probably completely irrelevant maybe they'll in this future scenario maybe they'll even have the technology to influence how you're thinking and how you're feeling so perhaps you know you you get you get thoughts which are somewhat you know um radical from their perspective they can just change the way that you that you're thinking i mean it's 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 like it's so futuristic and so like um frightening uh this 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 potential idea all for what i yeah. mean what what do, how do humans actually benefit from that 
it's like we've spoken about this smart technology and like the internet of things having your refrigerator be able to you know decide when you need to order new um uh, more eggs for instance it's like how much effort is it to actually look in your fridge <laughs> and, and see what you need to order i mean the majority of it it doesn't benefit human beings in any way and i'm not saying this doesn't necessarily have beneficial applications but it doesn't really really like fundamentally benefit human beings so the question is then who does this benefit mm-hmm. you know who's pushing for it because human beings aren't really pushing for it or the majority of ordinary people are not asking for this so why is it that these elite technocrat- technocratic transhumanist types, uh, why, why, why are they pushing for this? That's, I think that's the interesting question. Control. I think that's what it's all about. Yeah. And commodification. Basically, like, I hate to refer to the Matrix, but we all watched it. Like, you become a battery that provides energy right to the machine. I mean, Catherine Austin Fitz recently said in an interview where she was talking about transhumanism, that basically uh, the idea is for humans to resonate with machines and instead of resonating with life, right? And other human beings. Like if they can slowly meticulously get you to resonate with hey, your smartphone, right? We see this in young children, teenagers, their whole life is right there in their hand. They're resonating more with that device than they are, say, their family and friends. Then you are tracking that young child to become totally comfortable with what you're talking about, Elliot, like just living this future as essentially a cyborg or you know, uh, like the guy next to you, <laughs> you know, I mean, and um, it's so it's when you start to look into it and like the history of like Ray Kurzweil and, and basically his saying our technology is part of our humanity. It's like, what the hell? Mm. And I didn't realize till just today that he's like the director of engineering at Google since 2012. So, Wow. If you listen to some of his talks, it's frightening. Like, I don't know, maybe I'm just old school. I, I, I just, I can't imagine merging with my computer. That's not something exciting to me, but, uh, you know, I like the earth and people. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the thing is I, I like technology. I'm interested in it. Like, you know, to a certain extent, I'm not like a a fan. It's a tool. It is a tool. Right. That's exactly it. It's a tool. And I think that this transhumanism thing is uh, at its fundamental base, a materialist ideology, right? I mean, these people are, um, not, uh, they don't have any kind of idea of some kind of something transcendent about humanity. You know, it's like we are biological parts that can be taken apart, put back together. Uh, There is nothing more. Our consciousness is just the result of neurons firing in the brain. And that's it. And it's there to be manipulated. Even within that document, it actually says, um, as we continue to better understand and control the mechanisms that underlie biology, we could see a shift away from vitalism. The idea that living and non-living organisms are fundamentally different because they are are thought to be governed by different principles. Instead, the idea of biology as having predictable and digitally manageable characteristics may become increasingly common as a result of living in a bio-digital age. 
So that pretty like lays it out right there, you know, basically that the idea that we're going to, um, the difference between living and non-living is going to fade into the background, you know, basically like, you know, you'll, you'll see yourself as more or less the same as your robot assistant or something like that, or the AI on your computer is as good as talking to the AI on your computer is as good as talking to your mom, you know, or your spouse. And we can kind of see that the the whole lockdown pandemic scenario is is kind of beta testing that, um, you know, with moving working online. Not that there's anything wrong with working online, right? But like you saw it in schools, children online. Um, I'm a yoga teacher. I couldn't work with people for a while. I had to go online. And I will say like in that particular scenario as somebody who's used to working with people, getting feedback from the people in the room to go digitally online and try and teach something that way is really hard because you don't actually have people in the room with you. So I'm just speaking from my own experience. I didn't like it. It wasn't something I enjoyed. And the feedback I got from people was I really missed the human interaction of coming to a class. Right. But see, we're, we're slowly trying to eliminate that human aspect of all things, work, school, social, you know, now they're having kids birthday parties on zoom. Right. I mean, what? And, and it just keeps getting more and more implemented into every aspect of our life. And a lot of people aren't feeling it. You know, they're like, that's just weird. I don't want to do that. I'd rather have a real in-person conversation. So, but you can see that it's almost like the, the whole COVID thing was a perfect opportunity to launch these kind of out there ideas to get them acceptable. Mm-hmm. Medical also here in the US, you don't see a doctor anymore. You do telehealth mm-hmm. over the computer, right? So you meet with your doctor over a computer. What kind of inner reaction is that like? over a computer, they can't, you know, they can't take your temperature, or your heart rate, but you know, if you get biologically uh, upgraded, maybe, you know, then that goes to all of them, you know what I'm saying? I don't like know, a chip, I'm rambling. A chip implanted? Yeah, yeah. With all your biometric so it's data like that a, goes straight to your doctor? Right. So it's like a slow and steady kind of um, creeping in and kind of normalizing. And they're really doing it with kids in schools, um, with children, very young children, getting them in the e-platform for education, monitoring, like you were saying, Elliot, their thoughts and feelings. And, you know, as you were talking about earlier, like what happens if you have a child that's rebellious or thinks outside the block? Well, maybe in the future, we'll use CRISPR-9 technology via a injection of some sort to eliminate the gene that causes disobedience or anti-authoritarianism. I mean, it's just creepy. And we've all watched movies about it. I mean, I watched a movie last week called Gattaca from 1997 about the degenerates, right? Like degenerates, like uh, God-born people that aren't, you know, um, particularly picked out ovum and sperm and created in a lab and you know i mean and that was in the 90s so this is uh predictive programming's been there for a long time on this whole topic i think it's just becoming more mainstream as this document has showed like we're just going to put it out there 
everyone can read it and be really excited about their, um, you know, house that doesn't, pers- you know, that won't burn to the ground because it's got GMO wood. Cedar, yeah. <laughs> Cedar. Yeah. Well, interestingly, I mean, one guy who has been bringing this to the mainstream a lot is Elon Musk. And there was an article on republicworld.com that that the headline is Elon Musk says Neuralink will start implanting chips in the human brain by 2022. They've already done it. The headline says it. It's probably true. I mean, I, I think everybody, well, maybe not everybody, but I think a lot of people saw the video of the monkey with the implanted brain chip from Elon's uh, experiments that was playing Pong with just his brain, like like playing Pong video game on a computer with just his brain. Um, which, yeah, you know, I mean, it's crazy that that technology exists, but it really, the implications are quite creepy because, I mean... It doesn't take a genius to figure out that if you're able to control things with your brain, then there's probably the, the signal can go the other way. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that it's pretty easy to see how your brain could be influenced by the controllers, whoever those are, right? Which is never really talked about. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's there. I mean, you know, and on the one hand, it's kind of like when they talk about, you know, Elon always talks about how the reason he's pursuing this technology is because he wants to help people who are like paralyzed, right? So that they can get some kind of, um, bio, uh, what would you call it? Cyber arm, um, or something. If their, if their arm is paralyzed or if they lost their arm or something like that, then they can get this, this artificial one and still be able to control it with their brain. The way that any of us would control our arm, they'll be able to control their robotic arm. And it's like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. That's great. I don't have an objection to that necessarily because that sounds like a good implementation of the technology. But it's just like it's so easy to just go a little step beyond that. And that's when it starts to get creepy. Well, and that's how they always present it. Like, oh, you know, soldier that's back from the war, he needs a prosthetic leg. We can give him that. It's always presented as this wonderful you know, futuristic kind of solution for everyday problems. But then they don't tell you about all the other stuff. Like, A, will you even be able to afford to maintain such tech? And B, if you don't go along with whatever it is for the, you know, month, week, year, or let's just say you don't want to get the next booster for your vaccine. Oh, well, we'll turn off your tech. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's always, it's kind of like the carrot and the stick, like we're going to give you something, but there's a lot of strings attached to that. Or could it get hacked? That's another question. Right. What if somebody hacked your biological or your cybernetic arm? I mean, I think yeah. an, an analogy to look at, all you really need to look at is GMOs, right? Like the whole right. GMO movement. That was a, this exciting new technology that had the potential to feed the world. It was going to end world hunger. That was said multiple times. This is going to end world hunger. We're coming up with a genetic strain of, I don't know, rice that doesn't need as much water to grow. So it'll be able to grow in Africa, in the, you know places that are experiencing drought and all this other kind of stuff. All these miracles that they said that they were going to come up with um, for their genetic modification. What did they come up with? They came up with uh, poison-resistant uh, crops and poison producing crops. 
And it's like, that's basically what we got out of it. And the whole drive became obvious that it was about patenting the food that we grow, like getting the rights to that food so that you cannot produce that food. You can't eat that food. You can do anything with that food without them getting a cut. Like that's what it came down to with all the flowery talk about saving the world. None of that has materialized ever. You know, they, they were even working on a strain of rice. I think it was like called golden rice or something like that, that had vitamin A in it or beta carotene or something like that. Anyway, and yeah, it was to supposed to blindness. Yeah. And it was supposed to be, um, you know, grown in these areas that could support it, where there was this malnourishment, where there was a, a deficiency of beta carotene. Um, and it just, it, it crapped out. As far as I know, it's not being grown anywhere. All you get are the poison varieties. That's it. So it's not hard to see where this technology would very quickly go because the people developing their, their, this technology or these technologies, I don't think that they, like Elliot was saying at the top of the show, have the, the, the best interest of the, um, of humanity at heart. I, I really don't. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they don't. And they, I mean, the problem is it's like, uh, what do they call it? It's, it's like a fine line to walk. You know, it's it's like it's like with everything, there's usually a potentially massively beneficial application of it. You know, like even the gene editing technology, you know, the CRISPR. Mm. It's like you've got a kid who is born with a genetic error and they are going to be in a really bad place, like for the rest of their life. They're going to put a major strain economically on the medical system. And their quality of life is going to be consistently pretty, pretty poor, right? You know, if you've got the ability to enter in, in, you know, in utero, change a couple genes around, and then, you know, the child is born without the genetic defect. I mean, that's a miracle, mm -hmm. right? And that is kind of the way that, that something like CRISPR could really serve humanity, you know, because it's, unless you, you want to be someone who sticks into the stone age, I mean, things are developing and it's like, well, if we have access to technologies, which genuinely help us, then, then that's excellent. But, you know, we've spoken about CRISPR before and you look at a lot of the research, well, where's the funding coming from? It's like DARPA mm -hmm. and it's the intelligence agencies and the military yep. like complex. It's like, well, why on earth would they be investing in a medical technology? Because that's essentially what it's about. And then you consider the downside or the potential dark application of this technology and how it could be used to further the control of, uh, of humanity as, as a whole by, by a small group of elite individuals. You know, and it's like, well, there's so many potential negative like consequences of that. I think the same is the case with this transhumanism stuff. Well, I say transhumanism. What I just mean is the this interface this in, in interface between technology and, and biology, something like a bionic arm, or even something like some kind of an implant. I mean, there are cases, you know, where someone is blinded, for instance, and they get an implant put into their brain. It can allow them to see. Again, that's 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 pretty miraculous. But you know, how much of it is actually go? How much of that is just marketing? you know, like PR, how mm -hmm. much of that is, 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 uh, is, is this guy <laughs> trying to convince us is it, that this technology is for when in fact it's going to be used for 
other purposes which do not serve the benefits of humanity. And for the most part, it's probably the latter, you Mm -hmm. know, and we might see some amazing miraculous benefits, but will that be outweighed by the furthering of control um, that will occur inevitably if something like this is implemented? Well, I would say it's probably not outweighed. I would say it's probably, you know, it's a very dangerous path to go down uh, that humanity, uh, if they do, if we do kind of head towards that direction, which we already are. And it seems that that is very much the next step that a lot of these uh, elite think tanks and whatnot, um, they, they're, they're really gunning for. Um, ultimately, it's difficult to say how far the technology actually is away from achieving something like this. But I'd like to also like echo something that you said, Doug, as well, which I think is really important, is that this whole idea, this underlying theme that seems to be so common and really quite fundamental to their conception of how this is going to look further on down the line is very much based, when you dig into it a little bit, is very much based on the concept that consciousness or awareness is a material phenomenon or that Mm -hmm. it's rooted in a material process being that uh, in a simplified way of looking at it, you know, these neuroscientists and and researchers, and then the, uh, the elites or the technocrats who fund millions into this research are desperately searching for, you know, the process that is occurring or the region of the brain, the area of the brain or the specific type of cell or cellular occurrence, cellular process, which, which is, what like purely responsible for consciousness as in if only you could locate that one cell in the brain which generates consciousness then that will be the missing link and the ironic thing is is that you know again this is a completely materialist perspective and that when when if you believe that um uh, if, if you believe that consciousness is generated by a specific cell or a speci- specific brain region, I guess this whole transhumanism agenda kind of makes sense, right? Because if there is nothing more o- outside of this life or after this life, if there's no afterlife in any any mean in any way, then surely the, you know one of the goals of these people would be to remain alive for as long as possible because yeah. there's nothing after, right? And it's very much in, in line with their overall belief, uh, their kind of uh, their religious or their spiritual understanding of or, or beliefs about what happens uh, after death or what even is consciousness, what is the physical body. If you believe it's purely a physical, uh, tangible thing, then, of course, um, uh, you can understand why, why, why they want to live forever. Um, ultimately, if you don't believe that, and I think that there's that's the bulk of the evidence suggests that that is not the case and that consciousness is not a physical thing and it's not located in one area of the brain, for instance, uh, not only does that mean that it's going to be very difficult for these guys to be able to uh, fully integrate a human human being or consciousness with a machine because it's not a physical thing that they think it is. Secondly, um, it means that the emphasis is taken away from uh preserving the physical body away from uh, living as an immortal for as long as possible. And actually rather the focus is on more important things such as nourishing um, the growth of one's soul. If one believes that one has one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think these guys are, are highly uh, 
misguided to say the least. Um, and I think they're delusional in, in many respects. Um, and quite frankly, I think that they're wrong. And I don't know if they will ever be able to achieve the way, the, the stuff that they want to achieve in this respect. I think a lot of it's just wishful thinking at this I point, so at least. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, particularly the stuff regarding consciousness. I mean, that's where you really see the stark difference between the materialist mindset versus somebody who has uh, an idea of uh, something more than this material existence, that they are not just the sum of their parts, that there are, there is something beyond us, what we see. Yeah. I agree. Well, we're coming up on our time here. And again, this is a very in-depth conversation. There's so much information out there that the average person probably is not being exposed to unless it's through Hollywood mm. <laughs> in kind of a sci-fi way. But there are people with uh, ungodly amount of money, like the World Economic Forum and uh, the National Intelligence Council and whatnot that uh, are, are putting, and DARPA, that are putting a lot of money into these areas. And ultimately, it seems just from the research that I did for this show about control, and controlling humans and commodifying humanity and every last bit of life. And it does seem to me to be anti-human, to be, uh, you know, uh, sin against the soul in a, in a sense. So I thank you all for joining us today. And um, there's nothing else you guys want to add. Please like and share and talk to your friends and family about it. They might think you're a little bit out there, but uh, you know, we're going to see these kinds of things like the Neuralink and this whole new synthetic biology and more, you know, MRNA vaccines coming in the, in the coming decade. So uh, something to be informed about. So thank you all. And I uh, hope you have a wonderful holiday and a great new year. Bye everybody. Bye. Bye.